Welcome, True Believers, once again to the Marvel Cinecast. I am joined, as always, by Tony. Hello, everybody. And Scott. How's it going, guys? Uh, this week, we are here to talk about the third film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the first sequel in this little franchise, Iron Man 2, which came out in 2010. And this would really kind of be the jumping on point for the connected universe. We had Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk, and the Incredible Hulk had an appearance from Tony Stark at the end, but for the most part, those were two standalone films. This film started to be the one that would lay the groundwork for what would come after it, for better or worse, as we'll get to in a second. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first uh, Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk really the only thing that mixed them in with the, the overall universe was the post credit scenes and this one had uh, had you know characters in the film and storylines in the film that carried over to the following movies for sure yeah and like I said for better or worse I felt like um, a lot of this stuff kind of okay kind of to get into the movie I felt like this had way too like I complained the Incredible Hulk had no real plot this one has way too many right yeah uh, it's really safe to say. Yeah, definitely. I felt like, um, I don't know exactly how long this movie was, but it felt too long. Um, and and it, it definitely felt like the story was just kind of uh, pieced together. The The action was incredible, though. I mean, I, I had a ton of fun watching this movie, but I wouldn't say it's a great movie as far as like the story is concerned. But it's certainly a ton of fun to watch, in my opinion. I disagree. I felt like it. Also, I, I thought it. I thought it also had a momentum. I think pretty much for me, it kind of lost all momentum, and I, it never really grabbed me once the party scene hit, because I think the. I think at the start it was setting up something interesting, and then it never follows through on a lot of stuff. And I think part of it is they they gave Tony Stark way too many arcs for this film. Yeah, the uh, first one, which kind of came out of nowhere, is he's now dying. <laughs> right. Which was weird and kind of... Yeah, that was a left field sort of thing. I, yeah, I feel like they maybe... I mean, because it was kind of pointless when you think about it, that whole arc. But I, maybe they just they just did it to kind of make you feel for the character. Kind of like what they did with his father. Although but I, that's the I other kind thing of, is they gave him the father issues as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I kind of liked getting deeper into the character. I think maybe there wasn't a lo- enough psychological conflict like there was in the first movie, so they tried to throw that in there to make it seem a little deeper than it was. I mean, but uh, yeah. nothing really comes of it. And the the end of that arc is he magically creates a brand new element in yeah. his basement one day. Right. That, Although I... It... Sir, you want to run some tests? Run them. And assemble the suit while you're at it. Put it together now. We are unclear as to the I don't want to hear it, Jarvis. <laughs> ah, it tastes like coconut. Metal. I do I do appreciate the the scientific realism of him making a, a particle accelerator. It's basically like a miniature hadron collider. So it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. All right, yeah, they're doing that. But yeah, that was that was pretty insane. <laughs> Um, and then there's the arc with the, the military wanting the Iron Man technology as well, mm-hmm. and 
Mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting setup. It, didn't, it doesn't really go anywhere. There's the arc with him giving up his company. Right. There's him kind of go. I thought the most fascinating thing they could have done, and this is the one they don't touch on a ton of in this movie, is Iron Man, if I'm not mistaken, would have been the first public superhero that we've had in movies. Batman has a secret identity. Superman has a secret identity. Spider-Man has a secret identity. Mm-hmm. It would have been interesting if they focused on what it means to be both Tony Stark and Iron Man when the public knows. Right. And I feel like Stark, that's what a lot of these threads are setting up, and then they go completely different because it goes into a typical superhero movie. True. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's funny how like you know, all these other superheroes are like, oh, we can't tell our secret identity because it would be a danger to those closest to us, and Tony Stark's like, nah, man, it's awesome. This is fun. <laughs> like, There's no conflict what's, or no, no consequences whatsoever. <laughs> And, and and that's what I mean. Like the military stuff, I thought would have been interesting. Like who 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 does Iron Man represent? Does he represent America? Does he represent the world? Does he represent Tony Stark's interests and Stark Industries? And that's not where they go with that arc. That arc is pretty much like, oh, we're going. We want these weapons. Yeah. And he doesn't want to give it to us, so we're going to make our own version of these weapons. As he does not operate within any definable branch of government, Iron Man presents a potential threat to the security of both the nation and to her interests. I did, however, go on to summarize that the benefits of uh, Iron Man uh, uh, far uh, outweigh the liabilities, uh, that's and enough. that it would that's be in enough, our interest Colonel. to fold that, Mr. Enough. Stark into... Yeah, I mean, I guess that was kind of interesting in a way, because it's like, at what point, you know, is the government allowed to, you know, confiscate your creations, you know, because it's like, um, I don't know, I just thought that was kind of interesting in a way, but... I don't know. It was again just another side arc that there was a million of in this film. So it really, yeah, and, and that, yeah. And that's the problem place. is that if they if they had narrowed down on maybe two or three of them, it yeah. might have been a stronger film instead of giving him all these problems to deal with. And then none of them really had any type of important payoff. Um, like I said, the payoff with his whole dying thing is that he creates a new element when he's out of a model that his dad created. I would also say, and this is something, this is more of a pet peeve than anything, I hate when movies kind of visualize you getting ill, because, like, it made no sense that he puts in a new arc reactor and everything disappears from his chest. Yeah, it's like instant healed. Yeah, that weird. Yeah, that was a little, a little bit odd. I don't <laughs> that's, think that's how uh, medicine works. No, not at all, because it's a... So here's a funny thing I just looked up right now. This movie is pretty much exactly the same length as the original Iron Man, but it felt so much longer, and I think a big part of that had to do with all of those little arcs that were in the film that it just kind of dragged. But, which is, yeah, you know, as I said at the beginning, like, it just felt really long, but I'm looking at the runtime right now, and it's the same exact one, same exact time as the original. Yeah, about strange. Hours, I mean, yeah, and I, again, it, it gets bogged down by having to have so many different moving pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I noted we noted with the first film that it worked because almost everything was dealt with in relation to Tony, and then there are even subplots in here that don't deal with Tony, like the tangentially related to Tony. Right. But like you have the hammer and um, whiplash subplot, which starts off with Tony, then deviates from him for the better part of the middle of the film. Mm-hmm. And then comes back to him near the end for the climax. But in that middle, there's really nothing that's related to Tony in that subplot. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know. Well, let's talk about some of the some of the characters, if you guys wouldn't mind. So, my, probably the biggest question in my mind is, how did you feel about Rhodey, about the change? Because this is that was a big change from the original film, from Terrence Howard to um, Don Cheadle. 
it it wasn't as as bad as I remembered mm-hmm. in my head. I remembered uh, the first time I saw Iron Man two, and I was like thrown off because I was you know I wasn't used to a character change like that. Uh, but after watching it for a I don't know, I guess this is a second or maybe third time. I don't mind it that much. Uh, it, it's not the same type of chemistry and interaction uh, as with the original Rhodey, but it, right. there's still something there. It's not like, completely lost. And I kind of I agree with you on the extent that I didn't mind the change. I, he seems fine as Rhodey. I still prefer Terrence Howard. I kind of disagree. Like the chemistry changes, and I feel at no point in this film do I feel like they're friends. Right. Until like, the very end calls for it, because I mean, in the first one we had them interacting, we had you know Tony and and um, Rhodey on the train, and they got drunk and they were partying and stuff like that. Right. This one, like Rhodey's role, is pretty much to scream at him on behalf of the government, and I never feel like there's a close friendship. I didn't get why they were friends in this film. I completely agree. I feel like in the first film with Terrence Howard that you could see them kind of growing up together and maybe going to college together and getting in some trouble and stuff like that. With Don Cheadle, it's like he just felt like almost a big brother that's always disappointed and nagging and you know it's like there was no why why are they friends until like as you said in the very end where they kind of like forced it down your throat like look we are friends this is us being friends it's like eh, i don't believe it yeah exactly i mean okay now the script calls them to be chummy and they joke around i mean you gave me none of this like i mean this, the film starts off fair enough but it starts off with roadie just kind of blindsiding him at the senate here and to be one of the key witnesses and stuff like that and i'm like okay so this is a friend who kind of betrays you and i understand he has a job and it makes sense but like the entire time it feels like he's just kind of like tony you're doing bad tony you need to do better tony i'm disappointed in you yeah and I mean, I don't get their friendship, and yeah. it's it's not Don Cheadle. It's what was written for them. Exactly. They don't really share any intimate scenes in this film. Yeah, I was just about to say that. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly part of it has to do with just the natural chemistry of the actors, but a larger part of it has to do with the way he was written in this particular film. Um, and yeah, it's just there's no, as you said, there's it's just it's just you don't see why they would be friends. Um, so I guess in addition, you know, on the, on the same track of characters. Um, with, with what, what do you guys think about the villains? Because that's another thing that that kind of jumped out at me. It seems that Marvel again is it, so far just continuing with their string of just villains that don't have fleshed out stories and aren't really interesting and they're just kind of disposable. But I don't know how you guys felt about the villains in this one. I remember the first time I see I saw this film, I enjoyed Justin Hammer, mm-hmm. and rewatching it, I don't necessarily know why. I always think I don't get. I, at no point do I understand why the government goes into business with him. He seems completely incompetent. Yeah. I, think, I think at some point they should have shown him doing something well. Right. Because they were introduced to him. He can't even turn off a TV. That was hilarious. Then, like, it took him all that time. It's like, dude, just hit the power button. What are you doing? Yeah, um, he eventually unplugged it, but still. Like, if you couldn't get it off the first time, just yank it out. Is that Justin Hammer? How did Hammer get in Justin, you're on TV. Focus up. Okay. Let's get left. Left. Turn to the right. Wow. Yeah, I'd say uh, most countries five, ten years away, 
Hammer Industries 20. I'd like to point out that that test pilot survived. I think we're done. It's not yeah, that like, difficult. This is supposed to be the second most intelligent person in the world, according to the U.S. government, and he can't turn off a TV. Yeah, that was ridiculous. He was definitely just a kind of slapstick, you know, just, just uh, I don't know, I don't even know, but, um, yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan of him. Uh, yeah, me neither. He had, he had some funny moments, but... Again, I mean, you know, he's a he's supposed to be a villain. He's supposed to be intimidating. He's supposed, to, you know, him and um, uh, Whiplash are supposed to make you feel concerned about the hero. But at no point in this film did I ever was I ever concerned that oh no, you know, Iron Man might not be able to pull this out. You know, he yeah. he, he pretty much was always in control. Yeah, and that's the same thing with Whiplash. And I noted like. And I, I guess it's one of those co- characters who was probably really difficult to translate to screen anyhow. But I was, I was like, at no point is he a threat. Like he already gets jobbed out quickly in these <laughs> fights once it becomes even. Like even in the fight, the first fight in Monaco, oh, Ro- yeah. um, um, not Rody, Happy, um, Happy <laughs> runs him over with a car like three times. That was hilarious. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know. One of the things in that scene that I was I was thinking is like, why doesn't anyone just shoot him in the head? Like he has no armor on, just shoot him. Like it's not that difficult. But I don't know. Yeah, maybe Monaco gun laws are complicated. And then he comes in for the climax, and this is supposed to be the big. And he pretty much gets jobbed out really quickly yeah. by Tony and Rhodey. Oh, um, like, with that cheesy. Uh, yeah. I don't yeah, know. Let's be friends. Explosion. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, no. Why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah, I feel like they they could have made that fight scene a lot more interesting, and they it, they kind of built it up with the whole chase scene with the drones, yeah. and then yeah, and then he appears and he looks pretty badass, Whiplash, I mean, and he's ready to fight, and then lasts for like what a minute and thirty seconds, if something that, like yeah. that. And it, again, it's like there at no point did it seem that. Iron Man was going to lose. I mean, even when, you know, they're having that drone battle and they're like, hey, oh, you know, the big gun needs to go up on the hill. He's like, oh, don't stay here. This is the the kill box or whatever. He's like, if we stay here, we're going to get destroyed. And then all the drones show up and they just wipe them out immediately. <laughs> like, yeah, which yeah, like, one the kill box? Oh, well. like, I, would say, I would say it was it was like a 10 minute chase. And like you, you feel like okay, they're outnumbered, they're outgunned, yeah. and they, robots give no struggle whatsoever. I'm like, white. <laughs> Tony could have done this on his own. Yeah, I guess the biggest threat there would have been Rhodey. But I'm like, wow, he takes them out with no effort. Yeah, like remember they are Hammer Industries. That's true. No, no, robots, these are these so. are Banco improved ones. Oh yeah, but yeah. Well, it's still, the base is <laughs> Hammer Industries. Yeah, and this is kind of, I mean, and this is something we'll get to later. This is also kind of the start of the Marvel Climax, which is just a bunch, like, it's a huge army versus the heroes flying in space and kind of throwing up stuff. This is kind of what you'll see again in Winter Soldier, you'll see in Guardians of the Galaxy, right. you'll see in Avengers. It's kind of like we have this huge army and they're just kind of flying and stuff is blowing up. Yeah. There's no real stakes here. <laughs> Until the very last second when he has all the robots keyed to a self-destruct sequence. You'll All these drones are rigged to blow. We got to get out of here, man. Pepper? Right. Yeah, it's, um, I, you know, and I don't know what they could do with the villains as far as, I mean, they always seem to turn to one of two things. Either, as you said, get a big old army of people to attack the, the good guys or have 
just this insanely powerful creature. It's like, I, I don't know what else they could do with it, though, but that just seems to be the go-to. But as I was watching the the scene with the drones chasing, cho- uh, chasing Tony, mm. in my head, I was like, if I was a villain, why wouldn't I be trying to just attack the populace? That would get more of a statement than just trying to kill Tony, and it would make Tony look bad, which is also Whiplash's goal. I just didn't understand it. It's like they were avoiding people. The only time anyone was in danger was with the kid with the Iron Man mask, and the drone was confused and went to kill him. That actually reminds me of another problem I have with Whiplash, and maybe I'm just overthinking this. What was his plan at this point? Because he interrupts the race, and I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. But Tony only signed up for the race at the very last second. So who was he going to attack before then? Because well, that is a good question. And he, but he was going to the race uh, from the very beginning. Yeah, he because was. He but got... he was he was in the um, pit crew uniform, which meant he was interrupting the race anyhow. But yeah. Tony wasn't in the race until maybe he the just very knew. End. Maybe he just knew that he was going to be there, and so he wanted to be there. And then I, I don't know, but yeah, that's a really good point. How did he even know? I don't know. <laughs> and then the second thing, again, uh, to Scott's point, is like with the climax, he's chasing Tony. Techni- I mean, granted, he gave Tony the heads up that he's going to be there, but if Tony didn't show up, what was his agenda going to be? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know. That's yeah. That, that's those are some interesting points. Maybe maybe he knew that Tony Stark was going to be there and could kill him. But, but th- there's no way he could have known because well, Tony Stark crashed the party. Like he wasn't supposed to be there. Well, he wasn't supposed to. He wasn't supposed to be in the race. But or, or, or no, at the um, at the final uh, uh, the, the final know. one. Yeah, oh. he wasn't supposed to be there either. He just showed up. That was a Hammer well, he, Industries display. Yeah, that well, is true. He showed- he showed up because, remember, Whippyash does call him. He calls him from the cell. That's uh, how Yeah, and that goads him into going. Okay. I guess yeah, he figured but, that's what would happen. Yeah, I guess he figured at Tony's ego, but I'm like, if he didn't, like, are you just going to wait and hang out there? And Tony came at the right time. Yeah. Because I believe Tony was in California and this expo was in New York. So he got there pretty damn quick. Well, I mean, he he can go supersonic, so... The Iron Man suit uh, is very fast. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I kind of talking, I guess, you know, we kind of mentioned that. The, the movie's also kind of, and I understand why, but because they, they have to introduce S.H.I.E.L.D., it's kind of bogged down by these random S.H.I.E.L.D. appearances. Like, Antalya Rushman, <laughs> I yeah. think, was a funny-ass name. Okay, yeah. she made sense. <laughs> well, first off, first off, let me say, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a huge fan of Scarlett Johansson, but I will say, in this film, goddamn, that was like the uh, that was that was a really not only was she incredibly attractive, but I like what they did with her character as far as she was badass in this film. Like I thought that yeah. was kind of cool. I actually prefer her in the Winter Soldier, but we'll get to that later. Mm. I didn't like the long curly hair that she had going here. Oh, well. Uh, you but are yeah, sh- mistaken, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you're wrong. Well, you are just plain wrong. <laughs> it's also kind of funny, and I guess it's you know it's it, it's whatever. She doesn't have to be, but it's also funny that Pepper Tau is over her. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. Because huh. I mean, she's supposed and to be a badass spy, but yeah, Pepper just towers over her. She has like a good half a foot on her or something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, isn't, didn't Gwyneth Paltrow used to be like a model or something like that? So she's. Probably- I, 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 mean, I can say it. it's nothing to do with the money movie. I was just find it funny when they shared ca- scenes because like one's a badass spy and other ones, well, I guess former executive assistant now CEO of the company, <laughs> and she's like being towered over by Pepper. It's kind of funny when they like walking together. Yeah. yeah, I did notice that. It was a very, very noticeable difference in height. Yeah, but yeah, she, I, I enjoyed her role in this, and it was, you know, it's especially nice once you kind of know the reveal of who she is and kind of watching the, their interaction. But then you got stuff with Nick Fury and Agent Coulson, and I thought Agent Coulson was completely wasted in this film because his one he has one mission in this to keep Tony in house. The next scene is Tony escaping. Yeah, he's not even. <laughs> you failed your mission. It was a little. Yeah, that was and, a little bad. And he doesn't show up for another like, day to tell him. I mean, if I'm like, okay, so what was the point of putting him in this film? Yeah. He doesn't do but the he, one thing he's supposed to do. Well, even he did have the best line in the movie, uh, I I'll, think. I'll tase you as I watch Super Nanny and you drool on the carpet or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> that made me chuckle. Even after knowing that it was coming and knowing what the joke was, I still laughed at it. Yeah. Well, one of the things about um, Colson is that I, I remember seeing an interview with the actor is that they didn't initially intend to have him be an integral role in the, in the story. And so he was just kind of supposed to be, you know, just a, you know, right-hand man to Nick Fury and, you know, have some throwaway lines. But I guess because of the fan appreciation of him as a character, they kind of gave him more and more roles as the movies go on. Um, but yeah, I believe initially he wasn't supposed to be that big of a character. Oh, and I get that, but he's like completely wasted in this film. Like, yeah. There's not- there's no reason for him. Like, he's needed for the NTs, but there's no reason for him to really be here. Um, and Nick Fury is another one who, I guess, you know, again, to build up S.H.I.E.L.D., but he's kind of a deus ex machina. He shows up, oh, your father already did job you to resolve the problem that Tony apparently developed with his dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he also created this super secret thing for you that he gives in the form of the element, and then Nick Fury disappears for the rest of the film. Sir! I'm going to have to ask you to exit the donut. Right. I will say, critically, as a film, I, I agree completely with what you're saying about how their characters did not play an inter- integral part in, in the film. However, as a comic book fan, uh, I can't lie. I was, like, super happy to see them all in the film. I was like, yes, this is awesome. It's S.H.I.E.L.D. It's Nick Fury. It's, you know, this is so cool. But, yeah, as, as a, uh, the story is concerned, they were completely kind of unnecessary, so... Yeah, I would agree yeah, with but that. I, I think I think that's what they were going for when they made this movie versus the first Iron Man film and The Incredible Hulk. They were going for, let's show them that we have all these Marvel characters that we can include in these movies. Let's just throw, let's throw Nick Fury, Black Widow, Whiplash, and that's what they wanted to get across to comic book fans who would watch the movie. And then also fans of just movies in general would be like, who are these characters? And then they'd see them in previews for other movies, and then they'd be able to put two and two together themselves. Right. Uh, yeah, like, like I said, the, the, the notion itself isn't so bad. It's more the execution, which they don't necessarily hit a home run with. Oh, yeah, they definitely don't. They come up short in a lot of areas, especially concerning all the extra characters and all these story arcs that have no like completion 
or aren't fleshed out at all, and then the movie is just all of a sudden over. Right. Speaking of characters, there is one that we didn't touch on really all that much, and that is Tony Stark. So how did you feel about Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal of Tony Stark in this movie compared to the original? I mean, he's still he's still a fun Tony Stark, but I feel like they gave him too much to work on, and some of those scenes just didn't seem to be him. I think his pretending to be drunk um, was... <laughs> his pretending to be drunk was really stupid, but I hated how that scene ended with him just, like, shouting at everybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, that was... That was really weird. All of a sudden became angry drunk. But and, yeah, yeah I, I, I I I don't know. I kinda like how his portrayal of Tony Stark, although I felt like um it was more him playing himself than playing Tony Stark in this film. Uh but I I don't know, I think at at this point mm-hmm. you kinda see where the actor and the character start to meld together and become the same person, um, I feel like. So yeah, I don't know. I think- I think I think that's true, especially if you look at it out of the um, out of the Iron Man sequences. They try as much as possible to keep him keep him out of the full costume. Like they always have his, they try to have his face exposed a lot more than they did in the first film. And I guess part of that is because he no longer has a secret identity. But like he makes his grand entrance at the start, and he desuits in front of everybody. And then when he fights with Rhodey, he'll have the mask stripped up, and then he'll put it back on when it's time to go and stuff like that. Yeah, so, they were doing that a lot. In the movie, well, they want to probably get their money's worth because he cost an arm and a leg to have him uh, be in the film. I'm sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's something that I think you'll really kind of see come to head when you get to Iron Man three because he spends more time out of the costume than he does in, for the most part. Um, right. So that does remind me not to, you know not to sound completely negative on this film. I th- this is the start of one of my favorite traditions of the MCU. It's the various way that Tony suits up, and this one you get the briefcase suit. Which I thought was yeah, very cool. Oh, yeah. That was pretty cool, I have to say. Um, but... Go on. Uh, it, it just slipped my mind. I can't even remember what it was. I think it has something to do with the Avengers movie, but I don't want to touch on that until we get to it. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. so, I mean, uh, yeah, if I were to kind of describe this movie... In, in just a sentence or two, I would say that it was definitely, um, it, it's almost like the, the 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 definition of a popcorn kind of action. Like, you know, it's like something that you would just enjoy, and and it's there's not really too much to be gleaned from it. It's not the story isn't supposed mm-hmm. like that. It's not, um, but it's just it's just fun action. It definitely drags a bit. In, in certain areas, and they definitely tried to fit too much into it, you know. And uh, but you know, just the, the action was really good. The 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 visual effects were really good, um, and it was just just a fun film to watch, you know. In my yeah, opinion. yeah, I, I I have to agree more with Tony than with you, Earl, regarding uh, how much fun the movie was. I felt like though it did drag at some points, and I found myself looking away from the screen to go. I don't know, uh, look something up on the computer. There were, and I was kind of glued to watching what was going on. Maybe that's partly because I hadn't seen it in a while and I wanted to, you know, get a good good vision of what it is. And I definitely have to say I don't plan on watching it again anytime soon, but it was definitely fun to watch for that one time. It was, it was a 
departure from the original, for sure, because the original was much more serious, I felt like, and, um, you know, with the, him being uh, kidnapped and tortured and all that stuff, and it was, it was much more dark and serious, and this film was, you know, it, it when I was watching this film, I couldn't help but think, and I really want to listen to, like, the director commentary and watch some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, because I just feel like this must have been so much fun for them to film. You know, it just looked like they were having fun while making this movie. Um, and, and I feel like that's just kind of what they were going with, with this one. You know, they had done their kind of dark, uh, introspective storytelling in the original, and this one they just wanted to blow some stuff up and have some fun and, and mm-hmm. do some crazy stuff. And I thought they definitely succeeded in that, I would say, if that's what they were aiming for. Oh, yeah. I think they definitely succeeded with that. And that's part of why I enjoyed the, you know, I enjoyed the movie for what it's worth. And the fun parts were fun. The blowy up parts were blowy up, <laughs> and the the slow parts were slow. But they weren't they weren't as bad as I remembered. And I think that's part of the reason why I actually did enjoy the film this time more than I remembered because I went in with such low expectations. You know, people <laughs> compare it to like the Batman and Robin yeah. of the Marvel I, I, universe. I wouldn't, and, I wouldn't go yeah. that far. I don't like. I don't think it's a terrible film. I don't think it's bad. You made. I just think it, it's completely forgettable and unnecessary. It's bloated and bogged down by way too much going on. But yes, if you want to go in for just kind of like you said, a pure popcorn flick, I don't th- necessarily think it's a bad one to pick. I mean, it's it's probably I mean of the three we've seen so far, it's the least psyche for me to recommend to anybody. But it's not like it's not like to avert your eyes terrible. Yeah, uh, that's I, I agree with that. <laughs> that said, we did note that this is kind of the start of a really really kind of connected MCU business. Um, we already mentioned S.H.I.E.L.D., and we had the return of um, Nick Fury from the first Iron Man, Agent Coulson from the first Iron Man. If you pay attention to it, you can also see there's a scene near the end of the film when Tony goes to speak to Nick Fury once again. And if you look at the TV, it's shown a report as to what happened at the university in The Incredible Hulk. So that gives you your first kind of tie-in as to what time it is. And it also gives you a hint as to how Tony Stark's ends Tony Stark ends up at the end of The Incredible Hulk, where Nick Fury's like, we'll offer you a consultant role. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't see the thing on the, the, the you mentioned that he was had on, that was on the television, um, but I, you know, obviously you did notice that they had the kind of cap-looking shield. That was, that was pretty interesting. That's- I was kind of curious about that, because I don't know where that shield is from, because I thought Cap went down with his shield, and it wasn't damaged in that way. So was it a prototype one? Um, it might have been. I mean, that's kind of what it looked like, but I don't know. Because uh, the way Coulson reacted to it, I thought it was Cap Shield, but that doesn't make no. sense once you watch Captain America. No, I yeah, think you, it was just a, a little Easter egg thing. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it really was anything. Oh, Maybe it, just, it could as an old prop that Howard Stark had him being such a fan of Captain America, and well, I don't know, I, he, maybe he broke it. The only reason I say that is because it, 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 if it was just kind of in passing, but the way Coulson reacted to it, it made it sound like it was an authentic one. He's like, do you know what you have right there? Do you know what that is? <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, no. Oh. <laughs> um, and then you got the big tease, and this is the start of really um, each tease kind of leading to the next film, and this kind of descends Coulson to New Mexico where he sees 
Thor's hammer, which would kind of be the midway point of Thor, uh, well, the next, the Thor, which is the next movie we'll do. Mm-hmm. So this has a lot more pieces that start to fit together. And of course, the introduction of Jack Widow, who would become an important part of the Avengers and eventually Captain America the Winter Soldier. Right. Here's one question. The Captain America shield, shouldn't he know who Captain America is? I mean, because in the 40s, Captain America was a big deal and it was, was a public figure. So shouldn't that be, you know, recorded history in this universe? So, I mean, yeah, he, it it, 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 he, wasn't, I, he wasn't a secret. You know, he was on television and stuff and doing commercials in the 40s. So he should yeah, know. Yeah, I think, I, think, I think Tony, like, recognized what it was and understood that. But also, kind of did not really care, considering yeah. everyone just thought that Captain America was dead. They still thought he was dead at that point. So I was just like, oh, I need this shield to prop up the pipe here. Mm-hmm. And that's the only the only usefulness Captain America has left. So, Yeah, I would also say that Tony has kind of exhibited a kind of just through arrogant ignorance. So maybe, no. he, <laughs> maybe, so maybe he did know, or maybe he didn't know, because it didn't concern him. It's not his project. It's not his. And a lot of people assume, I mean, at this point, Captain America would have been dead for like 60 years. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would necessarily would concern himself with a Captain America original shield. And we kind of learned that with the Avengers, that they aren't necessarily the best of friends when they first meet. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, here's another thing: is that um, you know, as far as like Tony Stark and uh, his father and um, that that whole timeline, you did kind of get a glimpse into exactly how old Tony Stark is and how old his father would have been. Because when you saw the the video that his father had recorded, um, there was a six year old Tony Stark in that video, and then I think they said that that was in 1974. So then, meaning he would have been born in 68. So, and if his father was around in the 40s for the whole, you know, Captain America thing, then, so what would that say? So say his father's like 20 years old in 45. So then, quick math. Who does, who does math? That would have been like 43. Yeah, when he had Tony. So it's not outside the normal possibility. But it's not outside, but that would make him a really old dad. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, if anybody's going to do it, for sure it would be the Starks. Because, you know. Yeah. Come yeah. on. Well, I have, yeah. I have an older father myself, so... I, yeah, I, that's it's, within the realm of possibilities for me, oh, certainly. It's, it's within the realm of possibilities, especially when it's not as big of a concern to guys as it is to women because we don't give birth. Right. One thing but, that's right. going to be an issue is that because now Tony Stark in present day is almost 50, right? He's 68. So, yeah, I, you know, what are they going to do five, ten years from now? It's like, how old can you have Iron Man and still tie him to World War Two? You know? Well, you don't tie Iron Man to World War Two. You tie his dad to World There's, War II. Right, because that's when his father was, uh, you know, working on the whole super soldier project and all that. And so, you know, in in order to have Iron Man's father tied to it, then you have to, you know, put some sort of a timeline together indicating how old he is. And after a while, so like maybe 10 years from now, it's like, can you really have a 60-year-old Iron Man? So you may have to kind of play around with that timeline is what I was saying. Right, that makes well. They do that a lot in the in the comic book universe. They kind of you know they they fudge things, they squish timelines together a bit. But it is getting it's getting to the point where you know the actors and the timeline, the actors are getting too old. The timeline's getting too long, and it'd be interesting to see what they do to counteract that. 
Right. Well, that's the tricky thing when you when you when you tie this into real world events. You know, like I said, I mean, you know, if they had just made Captain America a part of some nebulous conflict as opposed to specifically tying him to World War II, then it wouldn't be an issue. But unfortunately, when you when you try to things to react. Um, because film is, you know, kind of timeless. These stories are timeless. And so, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I guess we'll kind of cross that bridge once we get to it and see what they do with it. And just kind of a little funny side of his dad is that his dad, I think, at this point, is probably played by the most people in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Is he? How many people have played him? I know too, but because he, he did it, not necessarily played him, but the people, that, the person they used as a stand-in for him in the first film, like during the pictures, and they showed him with Obadiah. Uh-huh. It's a different actor than the one you get in Iron Man 2. And then you get Dominic Cooper, who plays him in First Avengers, and he plays him in Agent Carter. Dominic Cooper, is he is he Hispanic? He looks it. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, he, yeah. I don't know. But, so that was interesting. That's a good, that's a good question. <laughs> but not for us to discuss here. <laughs> but yeah, he we'll discuss by, that in, our, in uh, Captain America. <laughs> but yeah, he's been exactly. played by three different actors so far. And I think that might be... I mean, Rhodey's been two. And I don't think of anybody else who's changed Hulk that Hulk has much. been two. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so... That, <laughs> I, think just, that's, I think that's it. I think... Uh, Howard Stark gets the gold medal for most actor portrayals in Marvel Cinematic Universe and history. I think, and I think, I mean, part of, it works for him because part of it has just been different ages. Like the one they showed in the first Iron Man was him near the end of his life. This is him, not necessarily at the peak, but maybe at the twilight of his career. And then the one in Captain America is a cost of youthful, energetic playboy, and they needed somebody different. Yeah. I don't think this guy would have, I mean, even if he's the 40s, I don't necessarily buy this guy as an 80s man. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that of all the of the characters who have been replaced by different actors, I think his is the most appropriate. Yeah, I don't. It, some of the other characters that have been replaced by other actors kind of look the same, but you you can tell right away what's going on here, like with Rhodey and with uh, Bruce Banner. It's it's very very noticeable differences. And there's, it's inexplicable. Inexplicable. It's like, oh, we needed, we needed a new actor for whatever reason. So, new actor. Yeah, but it's and not, I'm, it's not too distracting. So that's. Oh no! Especially since Howard good. Stark is mostly a background player until Captain America. But I think we've covered everything. Is there any final thoughts you gentlemen have on Iron Man Two? How about, um, you know, we were discussing on the other films, like whether or not we would recommend someone watch it if they were trying to marathon or, or watch through the Marvel MC. Cinematic yeah, movies. Uh, so what would you guys recommend that they watch this or that they, they skip well, it? Or? I think, I mean, I would skip the movie based on the quality, but I honestly think this is kind of the start of the proper MCU because... Mm-hmm. A lot of things kind of branch off from here. We mentioned, you know, Shield and Nick Fury, uh, Black Widow, Agent Coulson finding the hammer. Uh, that stuff starts here and then kind of starts weaving its way into Thor and Captain America leading up to the Avengers. Right. Yeah, I, I'd have to give Iron Man 2 the same type of recommendation that I gave the Incredible Hulk movie, though not quite the same. Uh, Iron Man 2 is a little more important if you're looking for the MCU sort of story overall. It's more important than The Incredible Hulk with that. 
but if you're just looking for a good standalone movie, there are a lot of other Marvel movies that do a much better job than Iron Man 2. So I'd put this in the same category as The Incredible Hulk, as you might only want to watch this if you're doing some sort of Marvel Cinematic Universe marathon. And other than that, you probably don't need to bother yourself with it. Yeah, I don't know if I'd put it in exactly the same category as the Hulk, because the Incredible Hulk, I felt, didn't really have any tie-ins to the overarching story of um, you know what's going on with the Avengers and all of that. Uh, this definitely introduced some characters, uh, as far as Nick Fury and... and um, uh, 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 I keep wanting to say Scarlett Johansson, <laughs> Black Widow, and and all, and you know Coulson, and so I think that if you kind of want to get a feel for what's going to be going on later on, it's important to get to know these characters from their beginnings. So I would say for that, it's important to watch. Again, as we've discussed, it's not a great film. The stories can be the story can be a little disjointed at times and drag on a bit, and the char- some of the characters aren't that great. But if you go into it with tempered expectations i think you could have some fun watching this film so i would i would i would say i would recommend uh checking it out for sure if you haven't already and i would also say kind of to end on this it also does kind of erase iron man one's cliffhanger because at the end of this film nick fury said yeah we know you're gonna want you for the events in this <laughs> and that was mm-hmm. something they needed to do because they had some they needed some way to bridge the gap between Iron Man and the Avengers. So they basically and it's again something that they hear on against because they have to get him back for the Avengers and there's no film between that. And he's just like he pretty much reads the report that they give him here back to them. They're like, Whatever, we need you now. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. So the next film that we will be reviewing is Thor, is that Thor. correct? Yes. All right. Yep. Which, which ties in perfectly with kind of the after credit scene of of, uh, of this movie. So I know it's a coincidence. It's like they planned oh, this stuff. It's almost <laughs> as if they knew what they were doing. <laughs> That's incredible. But yes, right. we'll be back next week with Thor. Awesome.